I've always loved that scene from Fiddler on the Roof. All the Jewish families of Anatevka, they gather together in their homes on Friday evening to begin their Sabbath celebrations, and they do so with a prayer sung for their children. And the prayer is that the God of Israel protects, defends, and blesses their kids. May they grow up to be radiant models of faith, like Ruth, like Esther, favored children who know only happiness and peace. I thought of the Sabbath prayer this week as I was studying our passage for this morning. This morning, we get to study what is actually one of my family's favorite passages in the Bible. It comes from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. We're meditating together on Paul's correspondence with the Thessalonian church in our series called More and More. Now, if you don't know the Apostle Paul, he was an early eyewitness of the resurrected Christ and a missionary who traveled around the Roman Empire planting churches. One of the first churches he planted was in the city of Thessalonica. After he started this church, he got kicked out of the city, uh, but he fell in love with these people so much that he wrote them letters. Letters filled with instruction and encouragement and prayers. Last week, we began the second letter. We looked at Paul's introduction and thanksgiving. And this morning, we're going to look at the conclusion of Paul's opening. It's actually just just a couple verses. But it is a beautiful and powerful prayer, even a blessing, that he practically sings over his kids. So let me share it with you. It comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 through 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I told you this is actually one of my family's favorite uh, passages in the Bible, and it it is that because it's actually the blessing that I pray over my daughter every night before she goes to sleep. You see, each of my children has their own blessing that I've chosen from Scripture that I've prayed for them every night since they were little. This is hers. Every night I go into her room, I I, I put my my hand on her head, and I recite these words. Sometimes I'm like really tired tired and I'm mumbling, She's like, Dad, you got you to gotta speak up here in order for God to hear what you're trying to say. <clears throat> or sometimes I'm really tired and I just go to bed with, without blessing her and she will wake me up. She will wake me up. Dad, Dad. Sometimes with her hands around my neck. <laughs> you forgot to do my blessing. I'm like, I'm not going to let you go until you do a blessing. It's like Jacob in the Old Testament. I will not let you go. And so you bless me. I'm like, okay, okay. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. And my daughter, when she was little, uh, sometimes my daughter would, would actually uh, ask me, she's kind of musical, she would ask me to sing her blessing to her. And not just sing it, but sing it like a girl. <laughs> and so I would. We constantly pray for you. That our God may make you worthy of his calling. And that by his power it may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. And your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And you in him. Amen. 
It was a fun little moment. Yeah, yeah, yes, thank you. Yes, right, yes. Quite a performance, I'm sure. It was a fun little experience with, with Moran and I, but I'm glad we have moved past such requests. Anyway, anyway, these are a couple special verses. Why, though? What's so special about this passage? Why, does I, why did I pick it as a Herndon blessing? Uh, well, it's a beautiful blessing, I think, that reveals to us Paul's passionate belief in prayer. And also, his abilities as a wordsmith. I don't know about you, but every now and then I just get sick of trying to come up with pretty ways to pray. And I need some words <laughs> that somebody else put together, someone with some wordsmith abilities. I mean, don't get me wrong. Freestyle prayer, you know, just praying, prayer talking, praying, you know, from the heart. That's perfectly fine. God wants to know what's on your heart. God wants to know what you're thinking about. Even if you sound like a complete inarticulate idiot, right? God doesn't care. But uh, also, God gives us prayers in Scripture and from other prayer masters to help us know what to pray when we don't know what to pray. That's why I have blessings for my children. I want to pray God's word of them over them, not mine. <laughs> I mean, if I prayed my word over them, I'd probably just pray that God would make them rich and famous. God's word gives me richer prayers to pray. And when it comes to what I want to want God to do in the lives of my children, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, is it. So let's dig into the prayer then. Now, I don't want to overanalyze Paul's prayer this morning. When you overanalyze something, you run the risk of destroying it, right? Like dissecting a butterfly. Ah, this butterfly is so beautiful. Let's tear it apart. But every word in these verses has something to teach us about how to pray for the people in our lives. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. What we learn about praying for the people in our lives from Paul's prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. Uh, here in these verses, we learn about the cause of prayer. We learn about the content of prayer. We learn about the accomplice of prayer. And we learn about the conclusion of prayer. The cause of prayer, the content of prayer, the accomplice of prayer, uh, the conclusion of, uh, of prayer. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, I actually apologize that I could not come up with a fourth word that starts with C. I scoured the uh, thesaurus, um, and accomplice was the best I could come up with. Although, I mean, give me props, like a word, three words that start with C, and one that starts with A but has a C in the second and third position uh, is actually pretty good. Although I was, I was presenting this outline at the first service, and um, uh, so this little, little boy in the second row after he saw this list, he said, the comrade of prayer. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Even goes with like the Russian Jewish thing this morning. So the accomplice or comrade, comrade of prayer. So we'll get to that. All right, first, the cause of prayer. As Paul begins, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you. With what in mind? What should be in our minds? What should be motivating our prayer? Uh, if you were here last week, you know that, that Paul has just reminded the Thessalonians of the great day of the Lord, the day on which the Lord Jesus will return to judge and punish those who do not know God. And on that day, also God will arrive to reward those who believe. As he has just said in the previous verse, on that day, he will come to be glorified in his holy people and marveled at among all those who have believed, this includes you. 
With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. With what in mind? Judgment. Judgment is coming. Destruction for sinners, glory for for believers. The future is set, so we have to get ready. How do we get ready? By constant prayer for one another. You can't just rest on your laurels. Jesus is coming. I shall be saved, and so shall my loved ones be. No, you must be prepared. Prepared how? Through prayer. Prayer is how God sanctifies our lives and readies our soul. Prayer is when we open ourselves up to the really important things he wants to do inside of us. And not just the occasional prayer before dinner or bread. What is bread or bed? What does Paul pray for? Constant prayer. We constantly pray for you. Now, you might think that Paul is exaggerating this constant prayer thing. Constant prayer, really? Constant? But if he is exaggerating, he does it frequently. As he writes to his student Timothy, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And as he wrote to the church in Rome, God is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Now this probably doesn't mean that Paul was like praying the rosary 24-7. Rather, he was just always dialoguing with God in his life. You see, he probably understood prayer differently than many of us do. For many of us, prayer is, is an activity. It's a ritual. We do it at designated times, dinner, church, when you need a parking spot. For Paul, <laughs> prayer was like breathing, a constant involuntary act. Paul was never not praying. And for other people, if Paul was breathing, he was praying. If his stomach was digesting, he was praying. If his synapses were firing, he was praying. This is how we pray, and for each other, constantly. Paul has already told us in his first letter to the Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually. So that's the cause of prayer. Judgment is coming, and the way to get ready is through constantly opening your life up to whatever God has to say to you at any given moment. Let's look at the content of prayer, though. The apostle goes on. We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray, constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power and bring to fruition your every desire for goodness, your every deed prompted by faith. By content of prayer, I mean what Paul says we should pray for for each other. What exactly should our be our request? Now you got to know that God wants to hear whatever you have to say. Whatever. God wants to hear it all. But with limited time, <laughs> what is it that God most wants to respond to? Well, here Paul prays two things for the Thessalonians. Let's start with the second and move back to the first. He prays, secondly, that God may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. The phrase bring to fruition means to bring to completion, to complete So Paul is praying that the Thessalonians would be made complete in both their desires and their deeds. May their desires for goodness be filled and may their deeds prompted by faith be completed. This is a prayer that their whole selves, what they are desiring, what they're feeling, and what they're doing 
Their deeds and their desires are made complete in the goodness of Jesus. May you desire and do all the right things. And before that, Paul prays that God would make them worthy of his calling. What does it mean to be made worthy of God's calling? Well, what is God's calling? We've been called as his children. His calling is his election of us as his kids, we are his very own children brought into the family of God. God calls us his children. So Paul's prayer is that God makes us worthy of that calling. His prayer is that we can live the kinds of lives that make the world think that we're actually his children. That's our calling. That's what we have to live up to. Now, I know that's a lot to live up to. It's a lot to live up to. Our calling is God's kids. That's a lot of pressure. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I can do that. Live up to the calling. I was thinking of an analogy to this, and I thought of all the recent professional sports drafts. Maybe you're a sports fan, and you know that recently the NHL, NBA, and MLB all had their annual draft. The NFL did theirs uh, way back in April. But these are all the number one drafts in all of the four major sports. Now imagine, if you will, the pressure <laughs> put on these players. They have been ranked by the experts as the best available player in the world, they receive immediate signing bonuses. Millions of fans from losing franchises, losing franchises get the first pick. They are looking to them to turn not just their team around, but to turn their city around. And then they get the call. Some of them actually get the call on the show. Brought to you by Verizon. You get the call. That's quite a call, right? Imagine getting that call. Hey, we're going to pay you a lot of money to save our city. Now, some players actually go on to do just that. Number one picks have indeed gone on to live up to the call. Alexander Ovechkin, LeBron James, Peyton Manning, A-Rod, they were all number one picks. They changed the future of their towns and their teams. But not all number one draft picks end up living up to the call. Do you remember, for example, Greg Ogden, Alexandre Daigle, Jamarcus Russell, or Sean Abner? I don't blame you if you don't. These were all highly touted players. All first drafts proved terrible busts. They did not live up to the call. Paul prays that we might live up to the call of being drafted by God as one of his top picks. You've been picked. You've been drafted. You've been called up. What's the call? Thankfully, not to play sports, right? Thankfully. But here's the thing. Our call is harder. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul spells out exactly what the call is. Here is the call. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's the call? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's our call. It's very different from scoring touchdowns. Be completely humble and gentle, patient and loving. That's what we've been drafted to do. Here's the thing though, friends, that is infinitely more difficult than anything anybody could ask us to do on the field. 
And we are less qualified to live up to this call than those players were to live up to theirs. I mean, they are super talented athletes with bodies built by the gods. We are sinners who can do nothing right. How are we possibly supposed to live up to the call of God? Be completely humble. Can't. How are we possibly supposed to live up to the call of God? Us being called, drafted by God into the kingdom is like this kid getting drafted by the MLB. At that age, that's not going to work. How are we possibly supposed to live up to our call as the children of God? Well, this brings us to the accomplice or Comrade of prayer. The very good news here, and it is very good news, is that when it comes to living up our calling, living up to our calling, we are not on our own. We have a comrade, an accomplice, and it is none other than God Himself. As Paul has already said, we pray that God may make you worthy of His calling. Remember, this is a prayer. In prayers, we ask God to help us do things we cannot do on our own. God wants to help. As Paul prays, by his power, may he bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Now, the Greek, the Greek word for um, power right there is an interesting word. Uh, it's the word dunamis. Uh, anybody know what English word we get from? Oh, it's up there. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's the Greek word from which we get another English word, dynamite. <clears throat> when Paul talks about uh, dunamis in the Bible, uh, he's not talking about dynamite, though. <laughs> he's talking about something else. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll just tell you that when we start thinking and talking about the Holy Spirit, I get really confused. So if you're new to the faith, Christians believe that uh, the Holy Spirit is the invisible um, presence and power of God at work in our churches, in our world, in our lives. So God is not out there beyond the universe. God is somehow with us spiritually, invisibly. The Holy Spirit is hard to grasp, though, almost by definition. You cannot actually grasp spirit. And we end up having to use a lot of metaphors to even come close to understanding him. Uh, Jesus, for example, talks about the Holy Spirit as, as wind, uh, the Old Testament talks about the Holy Spirit as breath. Also, the Holy Spirit is described to us as a dove from heaven. Paul's favorite image of the Holy Spirit, though, is this. It's power. Dynamite. And I like this image because it's one we can actually relate to. Our lives depend on, on, on power, on electricity. I mean, when the, storm, the storms that came through this week came through and actually knocked our, the power out at our house. <clears throat> and, and I got up in the middle of the night. Lights didn't work. Maybe you had this experience. Lights didn't work. Coffee maker didn't work. Air conditioning didn't work. TV didn't work. Electricity is the energy that powers our lives. The Holy Spirit is the energy that powers Christians. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't work. We don't function. We're not going to grow in, grow in desire and deed without the Spirit. We're not going to live up to our calling without the Spirit. We need God's power, and he wants to give it to us. 
And he can, he does. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He empowers our lives. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about God's power. You gotta stay plugged into it. Now we're milking the metaphor, right? I mean, have you ever tried using something without plugging it in? Has this ever happened to anybody? It's happened to me. Uh, a while back, I got the vacuum out to, like, vacuum. And it wasn't working. I flipped it over, got the drill out, took the base plate off. To, you know, trying the, the, the belts, you know, jiggling things around, making sure connections are working. I'm like, wait, wait a second. That little cord right there, is that supposed to be plugged in? <laughs> Let's try plugging it in first. That's never happened to you, right? Never, never, never happened to you. If you want to live up to your calling by the power of God, you actually have to get plugged in. You have to stay plugged in. What does it mean to stay plugged in? All the obvious things. It means to worship regularly with your church family. It means to pray regularly for each other. It means learning God's will from scripture. It means finding rest in God's grace. That's how you stay plugged in. Some of you guys are doing a great job staying plugged in. Some of you, not so much. Your cord is like, you know, like, it's not like you're unplugged. You're just kind of dangling, right? It's like, sometimes you work, sometimes you don't. You show up occasionally, then you do, you know, pray occasionally. You got to get your cord in. God wants to get you ready for the judgment. God wants to help you live up to his calling by his power through prayer. But you can't grow with your cord like dangling out of the socket. What's the cause of prayer? God's judgment. What's the content of prayer? That we live up to God's calling. What's the accomplice, the comrade of prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit? Finally, what's the conclusion of prayer? The conclusion of prayer is God's glory and ours. As Paul writes, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal, the conclusion of prayer is that the name of God might be glorified us in us. So in the Bible, uh, someone's name, so it says, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. In the Bible, someone's name represented their reputation, their authority, sometimes even their very self. So Paul is praying that as the Spirit empowers us to live up to God's calling, that the reputation and authority and very self of Jesus might be revealed in our lives. That's what it means for Jesus to be glorified in us. As we grow in his likeness, the world will see his glory. Nothing shows the world, the person of Jesus Christ, more than his glory being revealed in us as we confess conform our lives to his. If you want to bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus, follow hard after him. But that is only half of the conclusion. Paul's prayer is not just that the Lord Jesus is glorified in us. His prayer is also that we are glorified in him. We pray this, Paul writes, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. God's ultimate conclusion for us is not just that his son is glorified, but that we are too. God cares about our glory as well. Now, what does it mean to be glorified in Christ? Do we even know what that means? 
This is another hard idea to get your brains around, but to be glorified in Christ means to be remade, to remade, be remade completely in the goodness and the power of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? I don't know. I don't know. What does it mean to be remade in the power and the goodness of, of Jesus Christ? I don't know. But we can imagine, right? Just imagine our bodies with no tumors, hurts, aches, blemishes. Just imagine. Just imagine your brain with no memory problems, chemical imbalances, broken synapses. Imagine your heart with no hurts, no breaks. Imagine your families with no dysfunction. Imagine your church with no problems, only happy people. Imagine your soul uncorrupted. Imagine your spirit not tempted. Imagine your desires and your deeds, every part of you being made complete in the glory of Jesus. This is God's conclusion for you. Every part of you, desire and deed, being made perfect in the goodness and the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's God's conclusion for you. That's my goal for my children, my actual children and my spiritual children. Your glory, your complete transformation in the likeness of Jesus. And that's possible. We do not preach myths here. We preach possibilities. We preach realities. Your glorification into the likeness of Jesus is possible. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through constant prayer, and this is key, according to the grace of God. And I'll leave you with this. Paul concludes his very short prayer for the Thessalonians by saying all these things are possible according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his final reminder. You know what grace is, right? It's getting stuff we don't deserve. That's what grace is. Unmerited favor. And this is Paul's final reminder that we are not owed these things. We do not deserve to be glorified. We do not deserve to be drafted. We are sinners who have made a mess of our lives and in our world. And when the day of the Lord finally arrives, we deserve only to be condemned. But God loves us too much to let that happen. And if we're going to be condemned, it's going to be our choice. But he has a different choice for us. He is gracious. He loves us anyway. He gives us his spirit, his power, his breath anyway. He hears our prayers anyway. He drafts us anyway because it's who he is. He blesses his children every night even when we don't deserve it. We might have spent the entire day running around the house, making a mess of our lives, painting on the walls, just ruining everything, just being a pill. And you know what he does at night? He creeps in, kneels by our bed, puts his hand on our head, and blesses us. We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. 
And that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. That's Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. My prayer for you. And far more importantly, that's God's will for every single one of his kids. Are you going to let him do it in your life or not? Because judgment is coming. Keep that in mind.